You're listening to This Week on NFL No Huddle, featuring the top interviews from this past week's show with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn. Well, welcome to This Week on NFL No Huddle as we take you back through the week that was on our show. In this episode, Cordell and I will chat with the Hall of Famer John Randall and a Hall of Fame hopeful Isaac Bruce. We'll visit with a pair of NFL on tuning contributors, but let's start the show with Trey Wingo of ESPN. Trey, thanks so much for taking the time. Congratulations on the new gig, and how is the transition going to coming into work much earlier? Uh, Brian and Cordell, it is much earlier, but uh, as I as I put on my Twitter bio, not really a morning person. So we're, we're sort of in that in that weird phase where we're getting used to the new norm. But I'm having a lot of fun, and obviously, it's great working with Mike. Well, of course, you're covering everything across the board, but I allow you to stick with your NFL live stuff, Trey Wingo, when it comes down to the hot topics in the National Football League. Give me your take on Aaron Rodgers and his potential opportunity to come back to play against the Carolina Panthers. Give me your take on what that team will look like when he's back. Well, I really think it's a kudos to Brett Hundley because if they had not come back against the Browns, I'm not so sure we're seeing Aaron Rodgers on the field. But with the Vikings' loss, uh, and the win by the Packers, they've got a puncher's chance at the postseason now. You know, they have a game at Carolina, which if they lose, I, I think it's going to be very difficult for them. But remember, Carolina still has to go and play in, it, in uh, Atlanta final week of the season. So it's a critical game if the Packers can somehow find a way to beat a very good defense on the road in Carolina and they could end up with the same record at 10-6, and six, then they'd have the tiebreaker for a wild-card spot. Uh, look, if, if, if Aaron Rodgers is healthy... They've got to let him be Aaron Rodgers. You know, he can't go out there and try and protect that collarbone. Now, he maybe needs to know, as my good friend Herm Edwards says, who's now the head coach at Arizona State, know when the journey's over. You know, don't risk yourself, but play Aaron Rodgers football. And, Cordell, you know this better than anybody. Aaron is the best at second-level play. In other words, when it's not there and the machine breaks down, he uses his mobility to find that second or third receiver, and a lot of times it's Jordy Nelson for a chunk play. He has to play like that for them to be successful against a very good Carolina team. Trey Wingo of ESPN is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Trey, let's focus on a topic you've been discussing on NFL Live. Only a handful of premier receivers like Jerry Rice have ever been in the MVP conversation. Do you think Antonio Brown is a real contender this year? Well, it's interesting. He's putting up great numbers, but here's one thing that I think will will hold him back. Right now, Ben Roethlisberger is second only to Tom Brady in passing yards. Le'Veon Bell leads the league in rushing yards, and Antonio Brown leads the league in receiving yards. We've never had a team that has the leading passer, the leading rusher, and the leading receiver on the same squad. And the way these things play out, that might end up being the case for the Steelers. And if that happens, I think as well as Antonio Brown has played, it actually might take away from the argument for him being the MVP because of all the other weapons on the team. Look, he's phenomenal, and when they need to go to him, they find him. But I think because of those other two players and where they are in the terms of their ranks with every other player at their position, I think it actually takes away from his case and helps it. Speaking of the the Steelers, and also you mentioned Tom Brady. I mean, that's the matchup of the year uh, right there. The the Pittsburgh Steelers have done a phenomenal job over the last three weeks finishing games in the latter part of it, beating Green Bay in an emotional finish, kicking a field goal to Cincinnati and Ryan Shazier not being there and playing inspired football to now all of a sudden you end up seeing him playing against the Baltimore Ravens and coming down to the same thing again, another field goal. New England lost against Miami. 
who has the edge going into this game if you had to say, even though New England has the edge when it comes to matching up with the Steelers, who do you think have the edge in this game coming up? Well, it's interesting, Cordell. I mean, I think we have to put Chris Boswell as a killer B now, don't we? I mean, with what he did against Indianapolis, with what he did against Cincinnati, what he did against Green Bay, and what he did against the Ravens, he is officially a part of the Pittsburgh Steelers' killer Bs. This game is fascinating on so many levels because uh, Marcus Cannon, the the best, really, offensive lineman besides Nate Solder the Patriots had, was just put on injury reserve. Uh, His uh, backup played against the Dolphins on Monday night and was really taken to task. So they're going to have trouble protecting Tom Brady against a Steelers team that has 41 sacks on the season. Only Jacksonville has more. So that's a problem for the Patriots. The problem for the Steelers, as you alluded to it, Ryan Shazier is not there. And Shazier is one of those guys that we first and foremost hope gets healthy and, and can go on with his life more than anything else. However, he's one of the few linebackers in the league that can physically and athletically match up with Rob Gronkowski. The Patriots went 0 for 11 on third down of that uh, Monday night loss to the Dolphins. They hadn't been 0 for third down since 1991. That was two years before Drew Brees, I mean, excuse me, Drew Bledsoe was drafted. That's how long ago that was. Gronk is going to be back, and they're going to attack the middle of that field. I think the Steelers have good enough corners that can play the Patriots' receivers very similarly to the way the Dolphins did, which is don't give them a free release. Jam them on the line of scrimmage. Make them earn their way down the field. But the difference in this game will be if that's locked up, they're going to have a linebacker matched up on Gronk, and I think that's where the Patriots have a huge advantage. Honestly, this game feels like whoever has the last ball last is going to win because the Steelers are coming off a 500-yard passing game, and they scored 39 points, and they get Juju Smith-Schuster back. So this is – look, all signs point toward a shootout, so final score 10-7, right? Isn't that the way it always works? (laughs) Chatting with Trey Wingo. Trey, beyond the playoff picture in the seedings, are you buying that Jacksonville is the third best team in the AFC? I'm buying the fact that I think they're going to win that division. I'll tell you that much. And, and look, there's a weird scenario out there in which they could actually have home field advantage because they beat uh, Pittsburgh earlier this year 30-9, to and if Pittsburgh somehow stumbles down the stretch against Pittsburgh and loses, I mean, against New England and loses another game, which I don't think is likely, then they'll be at 12-4, and four. and if Jacksonville wins out and their schedule is, is, is pretty favorable for that, especially with the way Marcus Mariota is playing the last few weeks, tossing a lot of interceptions, that they could end up being the number one seed. I will tell you this, what translates and, and travels in the postseason, defense and running game. We've seen the last two years what happened in the Super Bowl. A Broncos offense that was really just there for the ride with Peyton Manning with nine touchdown passes against 17 interceptions in 2015, and that incredible defense shut out the highest-scoring offense in Carolina. And then last year, the remarkable comeback by the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl was really off one defensive play. After they had held the the Patriots to a field goal, all that was was a third and one that Matt Ryan needed to run the ball on, and they did the seven-step drop. And what happens? Dante Hightower, strip sack, fumble, they get the ball back, and that highest uh, lowest-scoring defense for the Patriots uh, holds Atlanta pointless through the rest of the fourth quarter and the overtime, and they come away with a win. Obviously, there are real concerns about Blake Bortles and the defenses he will see in the postseason, but they have a running game and they have a really good defense. I think they could be very interesting. Trey, you mentioned the style of football that travels this time of year. You mentioned great defenses and and, and solid offenses uh, that has a running game. 
when you look at the teams that are playing that style of football right now, you could throw the Chargers in that conversation after the start they had this year and how they're trying to finish. You could talk about the Jacksonville Jaguars and Blake Bortles and how great of a game, not a good game, but great of a game he's had playing against the Seattle Seahawks. Then you have the Minnesota Vikings, and we could go on with a few other teams. Have you ever seen a season at this point in time of the year be such a cluster to where you don't know who actually is going to come out on top and be this excited about watching football the upcoming weekend? No, you're absolutely right, Cordell. I mean, we've said this all year long. This has been the most week-to-week season in terms of team dominance uh, I can remember in a long time. Obviously, Philadelphia takes a huge step back with the loss of Carson Wentz. They might have been one of the most balanced teams. But, you know, the New England loss, more than anything else, and I know – this sounds crazy, but I, th- I think you'll back me up on this. Look, after they started 2-2, two and two, they put together eight straight wins. The defense, which went from being a sieve, uh, you know, giving up six, six straight 300-yard passing quarterbacks, which had never happened before in the history of the NFL, went on lockdown. And basically it's been the defense that has carried them toward the back stretch of the season. So when you see a Jay Cutler-led offense go out there and move the ball with Kenyon Drake and him making stick throws to Jarvis Landry and Kenny Stills and all the other wide receivers – I kind of feel like the rest of the NFL, even though everyone wants to believe anybody can beat anybody on a single Sunday, this is the Patriots we're talking about. They have five Super Bowl rings, the amazing comeback last year. It's almost like everyone said, hey, wait a minute, they might actually be beatable. And I think that everybody now realizes anybody's ballgame here, especially if you get Tom Brady out of Foxborough. He's unbelievable. I think he's 17-3 at home in the postseason, 3-4 and on the road. And that's why this game Sunday in Pittsburgh is critical to where the road goes through in the AFC. Trey, we know it's been an extremely long broadcast day, so thanks so much for joining us again today on the NFL on TuneIn. Brian, no problem. Cordell, always good to talk to you, my man. Yes, sir. Be good. Talk to you soon. You're listening to This Week on NFL No Huddle, and we'll be back with another great interview right after this. Hey guys, you're listening to Dumb People Town on TuneIn. And since we're new here, we thought we'd tell you a little bit about our show. We have dumb ears on the ground. Our fans send in stories that have happened, real stories that have happened. And along with our co-host, we Dan, try to break down that material with Dan Van Dan Kirk. Van Kirk, our co-host, breaks it down. And then us and a guest, we and a guest break it all down. And we try and make it funny for you. It is a fast hour and you will enjoy it. It's a riff it fast. Silly. You can hear episodes of our show a full week early right here on TuneIn. Welcome back to This Week on NFL No Huddle. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. We're back on This Week on NFL No Huddle, focusing on key headlines with Jason Cole of Bleacher Report. Jason, as always, we appreciate the time. Let's start with Adrian Peterson. Now he's been placed on injured reserve, ending his season. Do you think there's a chance the Cardinals will want him back next year to back up David Johnson at the age of 33? Well, look, given how things ended for him in New Orleans, uh, they may want him as a backup. I don't think Adrian's going to want to be a backup, right? Like, that was a bad marriage right from, right from the beginning because there just weren't enough touches. And I think that Adrian still believes that he can play and will want to go somewhere where he thinks he can play. It will take some time before he's willing to accept, if he ever does, that he's a backup. There are some guys who just can't, can't do that. Um, they, they, can't, they can't see themselves in that kind of role. So, to me... It sort of has to be more of a uh, – this is more about where Adrian Peterson is in his mind and his progression as, a, as an athlete. 
Jason, if you had to deal with the situation in Cleveland as far as the head coaching job is concerned, how would you deal with that considering there's only been one game won in the last two years? Look, I love Hugh Jackson, so this is hard. You know, like there's a personal part of me that says Hugh Jackson can can fix this, right? Because I've seen his work. I know how disciplined he is. I know the kind of human being he is. But there's also part of me that the logical part of me that sits here, and I like John Dorsey too, right? Let's not, um, you know, uh, let's let's not say that I favor one over the other. But part of me also who says there's a point at which athletes tune out the coach, right? And say that guy can't help me win. And when you're one in twenty-eight or whatever they've been at this point in time under Hugh Jackson, part of me says that players there probably don't believe that Hugh Jackson can help them win. And if they don't believe that, then they're not going to buy into what he's selling, and he's no longer viable as a head coach. Taking you around the league with Jason Cole, Bleacher Report. Jason, the Bengals are 5-8, and eight, and they're going to Minnesota on Sunday. Once more, Marvin Lewis is in the final year of his contract. What do you think his future looks like in Cincinnati? It's funny. I was talking to somebody in, um, in Cincinnati about this earlier this week. Um, and basically what they said is that, you know, Mike Brown, where, where's Mike Brown's head? Is Mike Brown at the point where he knows he needs to bring somebody in to change what's going on there? Or is he so comfortable with the fact that Marvin will let him do it his way? that he doesn't care anymore, right? Like, and that's the really critical question in all of this, is that if you try and hire another coach who's any good, right, then you're going to have that coach probably come into your building and tell you if you're Mike Brown, hey, look, this doesn't work. We can't have players who touch the coaches on the sideline and, you know, push them aside. We can't have – we have to do some addition by subtraction – by getting rid of some of the knuckleheads who won't do it the way we want to do it. And I'm not sure that Mike Brown has a whole lot of appetite to hear that. And if he doesn't, then Marvin possibly stays. If he acquiesces to, look, it's been long enough and the fans are are no longer happy, then Marvin's going to go. But this is all dependent on one man and what that one man believes. This is not based on group think in any way, shape, or form. When I think of the MVP award, Jason, I think of someone that's consistent um, and, and, and pretty much a difference maker in the game. Um, the conversation about Antonio Brown has been, I want, I want to say minimal, and nothing to really yeah. brag about, but he's been a game changer and he's also turned games around and, and, some, and been consistent. Do you think he has an opportunity? Oh, yeah, he would be in the discussion. I mean, if I was to name three to five candidates, He'd be one of them. Now, look, Carson Wentz was way at the top of that list. The fact that Carson Wentz is now out for the season, um, op- I think, opens it up more for Antonio Brown. I think Ben Roethlisberger gets consideration on offline. I think Le'Veon Bell, some people talk about him. But to me, it's clear that in, a, in an era of spectacular wide receivers, Antonio Brown may be the most spectacular. He may not be the most gifted, right? Like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't draw up a receiver necessarily who – looks like Antonio Brown. You'd want the taller guy. You'd want the Julio Jones. You'd want the A.J. Green types, right? That's more along the lines of the kind of receiver that you typically want to have. 
but nobody outworks Antonio Brown, and nobody makes bigger plays in a game than Antonio Brown, and nobody determines how the offense goes more than Antonio Brown. Like if he, when he's getting eight, nine, ten catches a game, they're close to unstoppable, and and you know he opens up so much, and, and yeah, he feeds off of other guys, but yeah, he's clearly in that conversation to me. Looking to make history, no wide receivers ever won the MVP award in the NFL, other than Jerry Rice got the designation from the Associated Press a long time ago. Jason Cole, Bleacher Report, is our guest. It's the NFL on TuneIn. Jason, what do you make of the reports indicating there's friction between Bucks head coach Dirk Cutter and Jameis Winston? As you know, Winston said the other day in public, everything's fine, but what do you expect him to say? I think there's friction between any human being and Dirk Cutter because of the way that he likes to – he likes to talk to people, and that's not unlike a lot of other head coaches. Cordell did. I, I always I find this stuff amusing. Cordell, did you get along with every head every coach that you ever had? In times I did not. Right. I mean, did care to be around him sometimes, Jason. Right. Well, I'm sorry. What I said, I didn't care to be around him sometimes. Yeah, just just a couple of times, right? Yeah, like just a, a couple. couple of times every day. Yeah, right. And right. so here's a, here's a story that I, I once sat in Otto Graham's living room. He was in his 70s at the time, still you know, before, the, before he really started to get sick and his mind went, right? So he's telling me a story about him and Paul Brown, right? And he's telling me about how Paul Brown took him out of a game because he, ran the, you know, he left the pocket too early one time, and Paul Brown got angry, so he put in his backup. And Otto Graham sat there and said, if I, I was sat there on the sideline and if I had a gun, I would have walked up and I would have shot Paul Brown right then, right? Wow. That's how angry he was with Paul Brown. He's laughing as he's telling it, right? They won seven titles in 10 years. Now, granted, it wasn't the NFL that we know today, but they made it work. And the whole point about this is when you're competing at this level, you don't always see eye to eye. And sometimes you need as an athlete and as a coach, that kind of creative dissonance. Like, we're going to argue and fight about this, and we're going to come up with the right answer. And, you know, be damned if we're not going to find a way to do this. That's what great competitors do. And it's, you know, it's ugly sometimes. It's not pleasant sometimes. And, again, I defer to you, Cordell, but I've heard tons of stories. So if they don't get along, okay. As, As long as they can sit in a meeting room and actually talk and it's not gotten to the point where it's either him or me kind of stuff, then this is kind of typical of how coaches and players, you know, work, especially when things aren't going well. And right now things are not going well in Tampa Bay. I mean, just think about New England when you had Tom Brady and Josh McDaniels actually going through their shout match in the blizzard they had out there in Buffalo. So right. it's normal. Steve that's Young, the, I, mean, I mean, he even did right, it way I mean, back that, when. That, that stuff happens. North Turner and Troy Aikman, used to MF each other up one side and down another, right? All, you know, all, the, all the time, during the middle of games. And that's how Troy communicated, because he was, you know, he was a, he's a foul-mouthed guy when he played. He right, Jason, but North Turner North kept different. the job. Is Dirk Cutter going to keep his gig in Tampa Bay? I don't know. That one I don't know about, because, you know, the, again, you get back to the Glazers, and the Glazers do things in odd ways. And, again, the one thing you don't know about this is is this to the point where it has to be a divorce? Like, is, is Dirk Cutter walking in to Jason Light's office and into the Glazers' office going, I can't work with this guy? If that's the case, then it's a divorce, okay? And Dirk Cutter is probably the one who's going because 
Jameis Winston is the guy that they invested in. But if it's not that, then I think it's something you work through. The other question that you have more, that's more important about Dirk Cutter is, why can't you get this offense to be more consistent? Like there are some there are some other issues with this team that I that I question that go beyond the relationship between Jameis and Dirk. Hmm. Give me your take on the Chargers and and looking at how they're coming back. The first five games they were one and four, and now they have the second best defense in National Football League with points allowed. Uh, do you see there being a, a true opportunity for them to win that division? Well, I think they can win. The, I mean, look, Saturday is the biggest thing that happens, right? So they got Kansas City on Saturday. That's I mean, it's a huge game, and in Kansas City, I'm not sure they can. I'm not sure what they're going to do in that game because I'm not sure which. It's hard when you have a rookie head coach. Like you don't know how consistent your team is going to be from week to week with a rookie head coach. So I, I kind of wonder about that, and especially. You know, I like Anthony Lynn a lot, but in that one and four start that you talked about, there were a couple of games that were winnable, and they could have flipped some games. Like the Jacksonville game, they should have flipped. The Denver game, they had a chance to flip that game. The Miami game at home, they certainly should have flipped that game, right? So they should be sitting with a two-game lead, in, in my view. And a lot of that has to do with, again, young head coach. You hope he learns. You hope he turns it around. All of that said, look, when you start out with Bosa and Ingram, that's the that's the best combination. That's the best one-two punch of pass rushers, defensive linemen in the league. You can wreck a lot of games with those two guys as long as they stay healthy. Now, I think their other teams are just as good in total because they're deeper. Like you know, you look at Philadelphia and how they play with their defensive line, or Pittsburgh how they play with their defensive line. I think those teams, those two those two teams are comparable, but it's because of depth, not because of two stars. Those two stars when they're on the field. They wreak havoc. And so they create all sorts of opportunities for that team to play. And, again, I, I thought at the beginning of this year that San Diego was a really good bet to make the playoffs if they had done, if they had done what they should have done in winning a couple of those four losses that we, we talked about during that, that, during that early streak. They'd be in a lot better position. My question is, is this a team that can go on the road and be either or both Pittsburgh and New England? And I think the answer to that is no, they can't. They might win one of those games. They're not going to win both. Got with Jason Cole, Bleach Report. Jason, if the Raiders lose to the Cowboys on Sunday night, Oakland goes to 6-8. and eight. This team has been a major disappointment. Who are you holding accountable? Why do you think the Raiders have underachieved this year? I think it's Jack Del Rio. I like Jack, but look, he's the one – Calling the shots for that team, and this team, and I think if you went back and you did a study of Jack Del Rio teams when they were expected to be good, you would find that they ultimately are disappointments. If you're if you're talking about Jack Del Rio teams when they're not expected to be good, ultimately they end up overachieving because a lot of it has to do with Jack Del Rio coaches a lot in the same way mentally and and emotionally the way that he played. When doubted, he overcame it. When expected to do something, he came up a little bit short. That's why he was a good to very good player and not a great one. And so that's to me, is they're a reflection of Jack Del Rio. Jason, when you look at Green Bay after losing Aaron Rodgers, um, I've said that the team has gotten much better because of Aaron Rodgers being absent, meaning that the guys had to pick up their play to help out Brett Hundley. Uh, how big of a move is it, is it for this football team to bring him back with this team and the energy they have moving forward? And can they get it done by maybe running the table to have a chance, an outside chance of getting the postseason? 
Yeah, I mean, I, re- I mean, look, I really want to. I want to see Aaron Rodgers in the playoffs every year. Um, it's going to cost either Cam Newton or Matt Ryan, in all likelihood, or Drew Brees a shot at that, which is unfortunate because you want to see better quarterbacks in the playoffs because you can really make big plays. But you know, Rodgers is the best of all of them. The one thing you're, you're right, the team has started to play better around him. They run the ball a little bit better. The defense has been more active. One thing that I worry about with this team a lot is all of a sudden do they exhale? And do they say, okay, well, we got, you know, daddy's back, you know, behind center. Uh, you know, he'll take care of all these problems and we don't have to play with that kind of, ang- you know, uh, urgency. Now, they can't, they, they can't afford one slip-up. And that's why I think that Aaron Rodgers is talking about it. He's not coming back to save this team because if that's the mentality, then they're going to lose because they can't just walk on a field and be better than people, even with Aaron Rodgers. They need to be – they need to play with reckless abandon and all out, you know, all out play for them to rise to what they think they can be. Jason, as always, we appreciate the great information. Enjoy the games this weekend. Happy holidays. And we'll chat with you soon on the NFL on TuneIn. Happy holidays, guys. Be good. You're listening to this week on NFL No Huddle. And we'll be back with another great interview right after this. Listen to TuneIn on your time with TuneIn On Demand. Jumping on a flight or planning a long road trip? Download episodes of your favorite podcasts or audiobooks. And enjoy hours of great audio content no matter where you are. When you're ready to escape, head to your favorites, hit play, and listen. With or without a Wi-Fi connection. Featuring top podcasts and audiobooks in every genre, save your data with TuneIn On Demand. Download your favorites today. Welcome back to This Week on NFL No Huddle. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we continue on This Week on NFL No Huddle, let's take you round the league with Peter King of the MMQB. Now, it's time for 2010 National Sports Writer of the Year, Peter King, from MMQB on the NFL on TuneIn. Peter, as always, we appreciate the time. Let's start in Philadelphia. Nobody expects Nick Foles to play as well as Carson Wentz did, but considering the talent the Eagles still have on both sides of the football, what kind of impact do you think they have in the postseason with Foles as a starting quarterback? You know, the toughest thing for him, I think, Brian, is going to be that uh, if you look at the field in the NFC, even if they win home field, and I still think they will because their schedule is very manageable, Giants, Oakland, and Dallas. Um, And basically, I think they win two out of three, and they're going to win home field. But but I I think here's the biggest thing. You pick out, like, two of the four teams that I'm going to name, you know, New Orleans, the Rams, Minnesota, uh, and, uh, and, 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 you know, and maybe Carolina. But you pick out two of the four really good teams behind them in the NFC, and they're going to have to beat two of those teams to get to the Super Bowl. And again, I like Nick Foles as a backup quarterback. The, you know, and he had one really good year in the NFL. But I'll tell you, if we're talking about backup quarterbacks who come in and who are playing well, I mean, Case Keenum is that guy this year. So if I'm Philadelphia, I'm nervous, but I also think that I'm going to be playing from a position of strength with home field. Taking you around the league with Peter King of the MMQB. Peter, we were just talking about Monday Night Football. What were your takeaways from that game? For whatever reason, Brady and the Patriots have failed to play well on the road in South Florida. That trend continued. Obviously, they didn't have Rob Gronkowski last night. Do you view that game as an aberration? 
I think it is. The thing that would worry me most is not the fact that Brady was lousy in the game because, look, that's the first, I'd say probably the first lousy game he's had this year. I mean, he's completed more than 70% in seven of his twelve game, first 12 games this year. So I, I wouldn't be that worried about Brady. And I've read a couple of stories today. Hey, is this the end of Brady? It's, it's, it's one game out of 280 in his life. I mean, quarterbacks are allowed to have bad games. Now, he puts three of those together, all of a sudden you're worried. But, Brian, I think the biggest problem in that game was protection. And Brady never, ever had a comfortable pocket the entire night. It is amazing because of how mediocre so often the Dolphins have been this year. It just goes to show you that, you know, when you're the defending Super Bowl champion, you're going to get everybody's best shot. And the Patriots usually are able to block those guys up, but last night they weren't able to do so. Let's see what happens, you know, in the last three weeks of the season. Because in my opinion, I look at the last three weeks, and obviously you've got the Pittsburgh game, but, you know, they also have Buffalo and the Jets. Nobody likes either of those teams. I'm I'm fairly sure the Patriots will win them both. But, and this is a very, very big but, if you do not protect Tom Brady, what happened last night could happen any week. Peter, when you look at the last three games the Steelers played, they played against Green Bay, they played against Cincinnati, and they played against the Ravens. All combined by seven points that this team won by. How impressed are you with the way the Steelers are playing now that they don't even have Ryan Shazier in the game? Well, I mean, obviously you have to look at this team right now and you have to say that uh, it's a, it's one of the oddest seasons that I've seen a great team have because, you know, uh, and I, I'm going off memory by this, but, you know, they beat the Packers in Cincinnati by three, both right at the wire. Uh, they beat the Ravens by one at the wire. Um, you know, what, what I found amazing about this team is that you can't beat them but they have not dominated. Who have they dominated this year? I would say maybe Baltimore in that first game and Tennessee. But I think, I mean, every other game they played has been pretty much down to the wire or, or, or a game in the, in the fourth quarter. And I, I'm, I'm hard-pressed to try to figure why, but – but I, I would – you just mentioned the Shazier thing. Andy Benoit of our staff at the MMQB, I think, did a really kind of fascinating study of what we saw in the Sunday night game, uh, Steelers-Ravens. And you know what I saw in that game that was re- – that I thought, you know, I, I, of all the things that you missed in that game, Spence for Shazier, I think the, the, the instincts and the speed of Ryan Shazier – you know, because to me, Alex Collins had whatever, 120 rushing yards. I mean, he got a lot of those rushing yards getting to the second level. And if Shazier is playing, I'm not sure he gets to the second level on a lot of those runs. Peter, as always, we appreciate the information. Have a great week, and we look forward to chatting with you again on Sunday on NFL First and Goal on TuneIn Premium. My pleasure, guys. Thanks a lot for having me on. You're listening to This Week on NFL No Huddle, and we'll be back with another great interview right after this. I'm Jack Hitt. And I'm Chinjirai Kumanyika. 
This is uncivil. So we ransack America's history and discover that the past is never really past. From the American Museum of Natural History in New York City and beaming out across all of space and time, this is Star Talk, where science and pop culture collide. Search First Play Podcasts and listen early, listen often, and listen today. Welcome back to This Week on NFL No Huddle. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. We're back on This Week on NFL No Huddle with former Rams wide receiver Isaac Bruce. Isaac, thanks so much for taking the time. How are you today? Hey, I'm good, man. Thanks for saying that. I appreciate it. Uh, We're going to talk a lot about the Hall of Fame, but let's start with your old team. Rams are playing well. Even though they lost to the Eagles on Sunday, it's been a tremendous year in Los Angeles. You're still close to the organization. Why do you think Sean McVay has been so effective in his first year as head coach? Well, I was at the game Sunday, man. It was a great game. The atmosphere was good. Kind of want to got cheer bumps a couple of times, wanted to get out there and play a little bit. But um, I think what Coach McVeigh has brought is just an air of uh, a new fresh air. He's, he's brought in some creativity with the offense, uh, putting guys in a position to make plays. And, um, you know, it's, it's pretty hard for a defense to predict what's going to happen with us right now. So the running game is tight. And I think uh, he's grooming the quarterback to be, you know, probably one of the elite quarterbacks in the next coming years or so. Isaac, you've had a chance to play with one of your good friends and one of my offensive linemen, Wayne Gandy, out in Pittsburgh. And, Yes, you started sir. your career off with Big G, and uh, you know that's what we call him. And and you've right. seen this organization evolve uh, from the time yeah. in which you you played with this organization in L.A. to going to St. Louis, being the greatest show on turf, uh, to now looking at them playing the way they are. Do they have enough in their arsenal uh, to be able to Ooh. produce those types of wins that can help them get into the Super Bowl? Ooh, uh, great question, man. You know, Big G took me down to my very first Iron Bowl a couple weeks ago. And, um, you know, just, you know, talking about the arsenal, man, I think, you, you know, we, we have a, a pretty good stable of guys right now, guys who, uh, who's, who's played a lot of downs, played a lot of games in the NFL, uh, starting with the new left tackle that we have. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be up to uh, guys like him to really start to groom these guys and let them know what playoff football is about. And, and, and playoff football doesn't start when you hit the playoffs. It starts – you know, weeks ahead of time, probably, you know, these last couple of games, because you, you want to be playing uh, in the postseason. These games have to be very significant in December, like the one we got coming up this weekend. It's, it's, it's very important that we go uh, make the defense that we have travel, make the running game travel, and win an important game on a team against a team that's going to be really waiting on you. Isaac Bruce is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Isaac, as we're looking ahead to that marquee matchup coming up, the Rams on the road in Seattle on Sunday. I'll take you back to the first game in Southern California. You'll recall the Rams had five turnovers, still almost won that game. What's it going to take to break through, come up with a signature road victory, and how do you think they can slow down Russell Wilson, who's been phenomenal this year? Well, you know what? Russell Wilson is my MVP of the league, man. I mean, this guy is, I mean, he's just everything to that organization right now offensively, and uh, I think we, when we play against them, we do a pretty good job. But definitely, you can't go there and turn the football over there. I mean, they they capitalize on turnovers like like no other team does in the league. But you know, especially with Russell Wilson, you don't want to give him any opportunities uh, to have another shot at you. He's definitely a guy that you don't want to have him. You know, uh, towards the end of the game with the ball in his hand. So 
um, I would go up with, if I were on the team now with the Rams, I'd go up with the mindset of, you know, this game does not have to be close. Um, I'd love to go up and win by 14 points. But knowing who we're going up against and what's at stake, it's, it's going to be one of those grind-out games. And, and uh, we got to prove to not only the, Se- the Seahawks, but prove to ourselves that we can win games like that. Isaac, your game that you played uh, while playing the National Football League, watching it from afar and, and having a chance to see you guys play championships, it, it's timeless. I mean, it's similar to what we see from players like the Dez Bryant in his heyday. He's kind of slowing up just a little bit, but like he is far as the, the electricity brought to the game, to the Odell Beckhams. But even though you're a Rams man, I, I know you watch that guy Antonio Brown do oh, his yeah. thing and, and how great he's played. Tell me. How good is he as a receiver to see him at his size, to be able to consistently put up the numbers he's putting in week in and week out and be the go-to guy even in double coverage? Well, well I'll, I'll tell you, Cordell, um, I, I'm not really big on uh, catches. Um, I think, you know, a lot of guys can, can, can go out and catch a lot of passes, albeit from screens, throwing it behind the line of scrimmage. I'm not knocking it, but I'm, I'm more bigger. I'm bigger on the production after you get the ball in your hand. This guy's been amazing, man. Just the numbers that he has put up uh, with his yards after the catch. I mean, he has the he's the complete package. He can take the top off the of defense. Uh, he's a guy who commands double team, like you said, but but can still get open. Um, this, this guy has everything from the route running ability. Uh, you can tell that he studies the game games well. He's very knowledgeable on what's happening in front of him, front of him as far as the defense is concerned. And the guy is still producing big numbers. So um, if there if there was never an MVP uh, at a wide receiver position, I think he he'll be the first one. And uh, why not this year? I think he's proven over the longevity of what he's done that he can be the MVP. He's proven to be the MVP of the Pittsburgh Steelers right now. Chatting with Isaac Bruce on the NFL on TuneIn. Isaac, let's talk about Canton, Ohio. As I mentioned, Cordell and I both believe undeniably you are a Hall of Famer. So does a Hall of Famer and your old Rams teammate Orlando Pace, who was on the show a few (laughs) weeks ago. How have you approached the entire Hall of Fame process? Because now it's beyond your control. Well, I mean, it's a a part of, it's a part of, you know, uh, what I dreamed. I mean, it's a part of one of my goals that I set. When I came into the league, I mean, I wanted to be a Super Bowl champion. I wanted to be a pro bowler. But at the same time, I wanted to be, end up in Canton uh, with a gold jacket. So it, it, it's part of it. It worked, it worked, you know, perfectly, you know, the way I'd imagine it. So, you know, like you said, I, I, there's nothing else I can do. I mean, I can't, um, you know, go back on the field. really don't want to. I squeeze it all out of me. But um, just, just being able to uh, be in the room where your body of work is being scrutinized it's humbling. I mean, you have you have guys that uh, have have taken this journey before me. Um, they're coaching me up, telling me how to think, how to believe, and I'm, I'm taking that in. And you know, I believe this year will be the year. I think I think it will be unique in this in this sense, where this will be the first year where multiple receivers go in. I mean, you said something that I thought was really profound uh, when you talked about the Rams and me asking about them going to the Super Bowl. You said. You know, you can't wait till you get to the playoffs to play playoff football. You have to start it right now. My question to you is because you're in the Hall of Fame, it's just not official. Have you gotten yourself psychologically prepared to give your speech when that time comes? 
Well, I have bits and parts of that speech already written, and uh, it's it's <laughs> about good. practicing it. You know, it's, yep. you know the imagination that God gave us, man, is so is so important. You know, it previews life's coming attractions. So um, there there are times when I'm just uh, visualizing, seeing myself. You know, you know, taking the tarp off my my bus or putting on my coat, or even mm-hmm. last year I practiced. You know, David Baker coming to my door and pounding on my door. So we practiced that, my wife and I. So. You know, it's all about the power of uh, the imagination that we have. And uh, as you know, Cordell, man, it's, it's, it's more mental than physical mm-hmm. as far as football is concerned. Yep. But you can use those principles that we learn in other aspects of life. Let's wrap it up with your Isaac Bruce Foundation doing tremendous work. What can you tell us about the unique Flight 300 program to help fund transportation for college-bound students to actually make it to their campus? Because that's something you dealt with, right? Absolutely, man. It's funny. Uh, as, we, as we're speaking right now, I'm standing across the street from my junior college in Los Angeles, California, where I attended my freshman year. And, uh, you know, I grew up in South Florida, uh, a Florida kid, played Florida football. But when it time, got time for me to come to college, you know, we, my parents, they just didn't have the funds to purchase a plane ticket, to purchase a bus ticket to get me uh, to, my, to, to Los Angeles at that time. And, uh, you know, fortunately, that money, that money came about. I was able to start my career here, right here at college at West LA College, and, and ended up at Santa Monica City College. Through the Isaac Bruce Foundation, we kind of started facilitating that need, and, and it's been going well. It's growing every year. Uh, for those who want to help help me with that, they can always go to my website isaacbruce.org and donate. We're always receiving donations, and we're much appreciative. Hey Isaac, I just want to say, man, you know it's it's amazing how you you have to go through the patient process every time you do something, right? And and here it is again. You're having to sit back and wait. And I know the wife, by you guys practicing when the door is knocked on and, and, and putting on that jacket, she's giving you a congratulatory conversation. I'll just be the first uh, player, former player, to tell you congratulations on that jacket, man. I just want to see it ahead of time so that once you get it and you see me, you'll be like, hey, man, Cordell, I appreciate you saying it. <laughs> Telling me for the first time amongst anyone else that said it. So congratulations ahead, ahead of time, bro. I appreciate it, Slash. Thank you, man. Yeah, bro. Thank you, Isaac. We enjoyed the conversation. Happy holidays. All right, man. Y'all be good. You're listening to This Week on NFL No Huddle, and we'll be back with another great interview right after this. This is Jay Connor. And this is Alex Hardy. And we're the co-hosts of The Extraordinary Negroes. Each week we talk about relevant issues within our community. Stuff like entrepreneurship, parenthood, mental health. And the latest shenanigans. With some of your favorite media personalities. But we make it a point to infuse humor. And colorful language. In order to make these often heavy subjects as relatable as possible. Because who says you can't be informative and entertaining? So check us out every week here on TuneIn. For your weekly dose of humor, insight, and colorful language. Welcome back to This Week on NFL No Huddle. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Next up on This Week on NFL No Huddle, we welcome in NFL Network Insider and NFL Autuning contributor Ian Rappaport. Now, it's time for NFL Network reporter Ian Rappaport. It's the rap sheet on the NFL on TuneIn. NFL owners met today in Dallas. That's where Ian is. Ian, we appreciate you taking the time. What can you tell us about the news connected to the performance-based component of Roger Goodell's new contract extension? 90% of his new contract, five-year extension through the 2024 league year, is tied to performance. And really what that means is that there are several metrics how much and each different committee, each different owner's committee will have their say and their oversight into what Roger Goodell gets paid. For instance, 
Um, the broadcast deals that are coming up, something that I know is on, is on Goodell's plate, you know, how those come out, the money generated from those, that'll be reviewed by the broadcast committee and it will directly affect his compensation. Uh, and that's, you know, the kind of sort of checks and balances that Jerry Jones has fought for, making sure that he's accountable. And in this new contract, the way it's structured, he is. Ian, when, when you talk about how things are structured, one thing about the New England Patriots is we know it's structured very well in the sense of how Bill Belichick runs his team. We saw them actually fail mm-hmm. against a Miami Dolphins football team, particularly when it comes to Key and Drake, who became somewhat like the James White in the Super Bowl. He ran all over this football team, whether it was rushing yeah. or even catching it. Uh, give me your take on what this team needs to clean up moving forward to play against the Steelers, who they've had an opportunity to take advantage of over the years. Well, I think there there really is no uh, no secret to how many injuries they've had and, and, you know, as many hits they've had in the front seven. I mean, that was basically a mass unit out there on Monday. Uh, you know, they also didn't have Gronkowski on offense, which hurts. But I think defensively, um, one thing we've seen this year from, from New England is they, they do give up some yards. Um, they In the red zone, they tighten up, and I think they did it against against the Dolphins. But, um, you know, usually you can drive the field against them. And so that's what's going to be interesting at the Steelers is, you know, the Steelers are going to be able to drive the field. Are they going to be able to score touchdowns rather than field goals? If the Steelers can do that, and certainly in the, you know, early in the game is kind of set a tone, that's going to go a long way in determining which way it's going to be. Uh, but, you know, the fact that Gronk will be back, um, you know, obviously will, will help the Patriots offensively. And, and even if the Steelers do score, I think this time uh, they'll be able to keep up a little better. Taking you around the league with Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. He joins us live from Dallas, site of the NFL annual winter meeting. And what can you tell us about your report on Sunday indicating there's apparent friction between Bucks head coach Dirk Cutter and Jameis Winston? As you know, Winston said the other day, everything is good with their relationship, but of course no one expects him to say otherwise in public. <laughs> right. Also said very clearly that, you know, when asked about the offensive creativity uh, with which he's had issues, he said, Players, player, and coaches, coach. Basically saying, I just try to do what, what I do best. And, you know, to me, from what I understand, the relationship is not in a good place. And, uh, you know, as the team struggles, and losing breeds some of this, you know, because no one's happy. Um, but, you know, as the team struggles, it's worth watching. Um, you know, Jameis Winston is the franchise going forward. He is their franchise quarterback. And, um, you know, they, they are likely to do whatever they can to make sure that he is successful going forward. And if that relationship continues to be strained at the end of the year, then I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have a very intriguing question on their hands as far as what do they do with the head coach? Do they keep him? Do they decide to make a change? Which is in the best interest of their quarterback? Because, you know, we, he, he has been injured this year, um, but we have not seen the kind of progression from Jameis Winston that you'd like to see about Give me your take on what Nick Foles brings to the table with his experience that he's had over the years and uh, how much would that be affected by not having Carson Wentz in the game? Well, um, you know, he's a good backup. I mean, he really is. As far as backups go, I would say he's a top 10 guy. You know, we've seen him be successful on the field um, for the Eagles. You know, what he did last or a couple of years ago when he was a starting quarterback, I mean, had some people thinking that he was a big part of the future. So, um, he's not Carson Wentz. I will not pretend he is Carson Wentz. But, man, he is uh, as good as it gets when it comes to being a backup quarterback. So that's one part. The other part of it is we see a team in the NFC who's literally doing exactly what the Eagles want to do, and that's the Vikings. Lost their starting quarterback, lost their starting running back, and are just 
kicking everyone's butt. Uh, and that's a good model for the Eagles because they can do it. Uh, you just got to get the team sort of functioning, uh, hitting on all cylinders, and sort of just keep winning. And in less than a minute, let's wrap it up in Cleveland. I know what Browns owner Jimmy Haslam said last week, but if the Browns go winless, is Hugh Jackson really in good shape to come back next season? Uh, Jimmy Haslam was adamant that he is. That he is coming back, but that's a decision they made. I've talked to other people who are not so sure. We'll have to see how it plays out. If they go winless, um, I'll say this. I'm not so sure it's a slam dunk. I think he comes back, but I'm not so sure it's a slam dunk. Thank you, Ian. I know a busy day for you covering the NFL owners meeting. Safe travels. We'll chat with you on Sunday on NFL First and Goal. Thank you. You're listening to This Week on NFL No Huddle, and we'll be back with another great interview right after this. The 11th Hour with Brian Williams. Tomorrow's headlines before they go to print. I've just been handed some great reporting. Tomorrow's questions before anyone's asked them. Could you make an obstruction case? Tomorrow's conversation tonight. Who is there to stand up to the boss and speak truth to power? Not a single person. The 11th Hour with Brian Williams. More than the day that was, it's the day that will be. Weeknights at 11 Eastern on MSNBC. Welcome back to This Week on NFL No Huddle. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out this week on NFL No Huddle, we're joined by Vikings defensive legend and Hall of Famer John Randall. John, as always, we appreciate the time. And before we talk about the Vikings, let's start with this outstanding show. We watch it every week on Football Life on NFL Network. What was your reaction when you found out you'd be featured on the program? Uh, first of all, thank you guys for having me. Uh, my first reaction was I thought it was uh, unbelievable. I thought it was untrue. I thought it was a joke that someone wanted to do a story about my life and that they found it uh, found enough information that would make it uh, for an hour show about my life. John, when you, you think about your life, and, and of course you're not going to give too much information because it is yours, but the, 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 the times and the parts and, and the moments that you did give, um, what do we have to look forward to to find out a lot more about you other than the black paint you had on your face and, and a lot of noise you made when it came between the plays? <laughs> well, I guess one of the amazing things was uh, that uh, where I grew up at was basically like an old plantation uh, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a small town. And, uh, you know, it was uh, the, the hardships that I, I grew up with, I didn't really realize that they were that hard. And uh, the, the people that you meet along your, your journey in life, how much they really do impact you. And uh, I just really never realized that uh, so many people that I had, uh, who had touched my life throughout my career. Hall of Famer John Randall's our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. John, as we focus on your path to the pros, you were undrafted coming out of Texas A&M, Kingsville. How much did that motivate you when you got to the NFL? Oh, that was a big motivation, uh, you know, because – I didn't really believe that I could put it this way. I, I believe that I belonged in the National Football League, but I didn't think I would play and start for 13 years and, and never saw myself as a, a starter. But, uh, you know, going out on the field every day, and even in practice, I wanted to give the impression that I belonged. And uh, I, I attacked practice almost as hard as I attacked the games. And, to where I, I wanted to make a, 
just to, just to be a fact and just to be a guy out there that never let my teammates down to to where you, you wanted to make big plays in practice. I wanted to make big plays in the game. And I always saw myself as, as being a leader, but not the vocal leader as most people saw me as, but being a leader, leader by being a hardworking person, which come, goes back to where I grew up. John, when you, you think of all of that and, and you, you can sum it up to say, um, once you started playing football, you know, you just wanted probably to do that just to get away from all the things that were you around and you can kind of allow that energy inside of you to, to be controlled within white lines and have fun doing it. Um, right. And then all of a sudden yeah. you end up wearing a yellow jacket, you know? Yeah. So how do you take everything that you've accomplished and achieved in the game of football then all of a sudden getting the ultimate goal, individual accolade, which is a yellow jacket, into life to where how do you now start all over to start fighting that fight to be as successful doing it too as well? Oh, my God. Wearing that yellow jacket, I mean, uh, it, to, to everyday part of life was things that I learned from football. You know, one of the most uh, the easiest things I, I always tell guys is, is time. And you always, for anything you do in, in this on this earth, always be on time. Never be late. I mean, for 14 years, I was never late one time. Never late. So even now, working with the NFL Legends program, and when I'm working with retired players and, and the incoming guys into the National Football League, the first thing I tell them is all about time. Always be early. Always show up early because you never know what you might what might happen by you being early. But I take the, the, the other things of, of qualities that I've learned from football, of, of the commitment to it, of committing to something, sticking with it, to the everyday task, of even telling my, my kids about, uh, about your success of, of being on the field and off the field, of every day is treating people with respect and, and just taking a little time out and just saying hi to people and, and always uh, just little things like having a smile on my face and just appreciating what the uh, say God or what the world has offered me and, and my family to never forget that. And, uh, you know, it's just so many little things that I've learned from the game of football and that I use every day in, in, in my uh, walks of life. And, uh, I mean, it's just so many things. Of, like I tell guys that, you know, it's just not about how you play the game, but it's how you treat people who are around the game because the contacts that you meet while you're playing football would definitely help you in the day-to-day parts of where you never know where that relationship may develop or may grow into. Chatting with the Hall of Famer John Randall, who will be profiled on a football life on NFL Network on Friday night. Definitely check it out, must-see TV. John, let's talk about the evolution of the NFL with all the changes to protect quarterbacks. Do you think you'd have to alter your style if you were playing right now? Uh, of course, I would definitely would. Uh, you know, the the game is is, is more uh, protected, and which is definitely good for the players because I, you know, and I see it as almost where we want the players to come into the game and leave the game almost in the same state of just of just trying to protect them because uh, you know we we know the overall health of of the football players as they as they retire is is not so good, but. Uh, protecting the players, I think, is a number one objective, and uh, of course you. I would have changed my game, and uh, I, I wouldn't be able to, to grab the guards like I used to when the guards were trying to pull. <laughs> Another way I would have to change my game. But, uh, but it's still a great game. 
is a, is a game that can, it gives people three to four hours relief from their normal day-to-day stressful lives. And it's a game that changes people's lives from, from, uh, from poverty to, uh, to success. And uh, it's a game that uh, has given us so much history, connecting grandfathers with their grandkids of watching players play it and uh, having that connection and having those stories. And I think it's a game that we've got to protect and, and keep it for the future. You talked about history, John, and the Minnesota Vikings, the way they've been playing as of lately, uh, are really tre- trending in the right direction, but had a hiccup against the Carolina Panthers. Tell me, what you, from what you saw in that game, tell me what you think this team needs to do in order for this type of game to to show its ugly face again, because now that it's the last part of the season, they have to win the next game yeah. uh, to win a division, but most importantly, getting it to the postseason. How can they take it to the next level? if they want to go and take it to a championship. Well, Cordell, you and I both know, you know this game is all about staying healthy, and especially this time of the year. I always say this time of year uh, that players should, uh, for their Christmas list is to wish for to stay healthy because uh, for our offensive linemen, you know, we win the game, didn't have a center, we didn't have one tackle, then we end up losing the other tackle. And you know when you, you, can't, when you take a guard and you move a guard out to a, a tackle position – He's not ready for that because that, that position, playing tackle, is different from the guard. Guard, you, you have a tackle in the center next to you. When you're playing that left tackle and right tackle, usually there's no tight end out there. It's just you uh, out on the island. But for us, we've got to definitely strengthen our offensive line and, and uh, start there. That's where we definitely got to start. And once we start getting that offensive line together, it's when it's, the next thing is when, when the ball's thrown to you, you got to catch that ball because those those uh, when you that, you saw it in the game those missed passes man that that's crucial when you play a team like Carolina because those drop passes man that that gives the ball right back to them gives them another opportunity to advance down the football field and when you play a team like Carolina and Cam Newton you know when when Cam Newton builds upon that when he has some a little bit of success man he's the type of quarterback that it, 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 just, it just goes out to the rest of the team. And you can just see him as he started getting that little smile on his face, how more, much more, more confident he got. And, but the last piece for us is for our defense, we can't let uh, have little plays like that with just giving that up that first quarter, letting what, uh, was it Stewart run up the middle and, and score that touchdown on it. That, that really kind of, uh, kind of really put us in a, in a hole. John, last one for me, and you were being comprehensive because the Vikings have such a complete team. Do you see a major weakness on this show last week? We were talking about their ability to rally if they had to, and yesterday they came back and then they allowed Cam Newton to make that game-changing play. I, I think the weakness for us is, is probably on the road. Uh, it's probably one of our, our, our probably we'll say our, uh, weakness because when we play at home, uh, our momentum and, and fan base is so strong, but I think since we're kind of a, 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 a very young team, once we go on the road, we really have not figured out how really to overcome that. We've had success. Don't get me wrong, we've had success on the road, but I think that's our weakness is learning how to take that momentum from home and take it on the road and take that confidence. And Because you can kind of see how we started out so slow in that first quarter where we were still trying to find ourselves. And I think for us, as a team-wise, we've got to come out there in the first quarter and, and, and basically come out and come out strong and 
and and echo that by letting uh, from special teams on to the offense through the defense. John, always a pleasure to check in with you. You've become something of a semi-regular, our second conversation over the span of the last (laughs) month. Look forward to seeing you in person on Radio Row at the Super Bowl in Minnesota and looking forward to watching your football life on NFL Network Friday night. Thank you, John. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you for listening to This Week on NFL No Huddle with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 to 7 p.m. Eastern time on the NFL on TuneIn. The National Football League is on TuneIn.